So last week, we started this series in Advent. The word Advent comes from a Latin word which means arrival. And so Christians for thousands of years have celebrated the first coming of Jesus as an unassuming and humble baby boy. And while we look back, we also look forward with this longing and waiting for his second return, his second Advent, where he'll come as our victorious king. And that's why Advent is both a season of looking back as well as it is a season of looking forward. It's a time for remembering and rejoicing, and it's also a time of watching and waiting. And so in this series, Waiting for Jesus, we are, I'm encouraging us, I'm hoping that we will lean into the waiting instead of diverting our attention with all sorts of distractions that are available to us. So it begs the question, why would we want to lean into the waiting? Why not just numb ourselves and be distracted from the pain of waiting? And the reason we want to lean into it is because waiting uniquely shapes and forms us as the people of God. When we're, when we're confronted with the season of waiting, it forces us to ask the question, do I really trust God even when it's hard? Or even when it feels like all I'm getting from him is silence. So last week we looked at what it means to wait with perspective. And the main idea that we were looking at in Isaiah chapter 40 was that in order to faithfully wait on the Lord, we need to have this perspective of hope that God is good to his word and that he will bring about our restoration and relief. It's not a matter of if he's going to show up. It's simply a matter of when. And that perspective of hope is meant to turn our eyes up from our navel gazing to give us a bigger picture of God himself. It's like when you see a painting, if you stare at it from one inch away, what happens? Well, all you can see is just one color. It, it doesn't even make any sense, right? Perspective is taking a step back so that you can see the whole canvas. That's when it starts to make sense. And Isaiah 40 was giving us this bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. Now, while faithful waiting takes perspective, Today, we're going to look at how faithful waiting takes patience. Now, I don't know about you, but patience is one of those virtues that I'd love to get my hands on. It just feels elusive, right? You think you've got it for one second, and you realize, nope, still struggling there, right? You go on the internet to, to watch a video that your friend has shared with you, and what happens is you see that little wheel spin. You're like, nope, not waiting, click, I'll move on, I guess it was good, and we're done with it, right? We click the little X and we get out of there. What happens when you get in a line that stops moving? Immediately you can feel the temperature of the room start to escalate. Tensions are rising and everyone's looking around for who's the idiot that's holding up the line, right? Am I, am I the only one? No, okay, all right. Those are laughs of recognition. We live in a fast-paced world that values immediacy and rapid response. Every social and technological influence on our lives reinforces that value. And we, we get to a place where we repudiate anything that stinks of waiting. And that's just the small stuff of life. And those things ultimately don't matter. What do we do when we're waiting for the things that are a really big deal? What about when we're waiting to hear back on a job interview when it's been months without work? 
What about when you're waiting for the results of a medical test? What about waiting for the right person to marry? What if you're on that long and hard and difficult road of infertility? Waiting, what, what about those times when you're waiting for things to turn around, when it seems that at every turn, nothing is going your way? Now, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I was really hoping it would get snowed out today. Like, I was like, Lord, bring all you've got. I did not want to preach on this. Why? Because one of my recurring besetting sins in my life is impatience. I struggle with the idol of control. One of the consistent prayers in my life has been, Lord, make me humble, gentle, and patient because I lack in all of those categories. This morning, we need to hear from God's word. Our passage comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That's a hard one to find, okay? It's in the Bible's under your seat. It's on page 785 if you're looking for it. Page 785, that's where we're going to be this morning. And Habakkuk has for us a word about waiting on the Lord with this posture of patience. And in this text, we're going to learn three things. First, we're going to learn that patience is intentional, not impulsive. Patience is intentional, not impulsive. Second, we're going to learn that patience is humble, not proud. Patience is humble, not proud. And third, we're going to look at that patience is faithful, not cynical. So let's first move into this first movement of our text where we see that patience is intentional, not impulsive. Okay, a bit of context in order to understand Habakkuk. See, every passage of scripture comes with a context. They're not words in a vacuum, okay? So we have to understand what's happening in the season of this writing to make sense of what's going on. You see, what happens in chapter two, we're stepping in to a conversation that the prophet Habakkuk is having with God. Now, this is written in about 620 BC, so about 620 years before the birth of Christ. Now, if you remember last week, I told you that Israel had already been divided after a civil war. In about 930 BC, Solomon dies. His sons kind of take over the kingdom, and all they're doing is fighting. And in that political unrest, Israel is divided into a northern kingdom and into a southern kingdom. And eventually, by around 720, the northern kingdom was defeated by the Assyrians, And last week, we talked about how Isaiah was prophesying that Judah, this southern kingdom, would eventually be defeated by Babylon. And now we enter into this book of Habakkuk, which is written about 15 years before the Babylonians come. So here's what that means. Tensions are rising as they hear report after report that the Babylonian empire is growing in prosperity and that they're on their way to Uh, Judah. You see, Babylon has conquered Assyria, the guys who defeated the northern kingdom, and they're making their way down to Judah. And they, like, when people come through, man, hey, what's happening on the front lines? What's going on in the battle? And they're like, man, the Babylonians are coming. And so there's tension rising, knowing that at any day, any moment, they could be at their front door. They're defeating nation after nation, and they're headed your way. And so in this first chapter of Habakkuk, he opens up and he basically complains to God. He's basically saying, God, 
As I look around in my own country, I see all the evil and the suffering that you're allowing to happen. And at this point, it's not even happening from the Babylonians. This is just his own people who have forsaken God, have given in to idol worship, and are, go- are doing things their own way. You see, Habakkuk had a front row seat to the rapid moral and spiritual deterioration of Judah. And after he prays and says, God, why, why are you allowing our people to live in this way? God responds to him, and he says, yeah, the thing about it is it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Because like I've said before, the Babylonians are coming, and they are going to be used by me as my hand of justice. You see, they were coming, and they were going to invade Judah and bring about the judgment that was spoken years ago because of the nation of Judah had abandoned God. Then Habakkuk responds back to God and says, okay, wait, I'm even more confused now. And what you have here is this really open and honest, raw dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And now he's even more upset, saying, how can this be? How can you, this holy and righteous and perfect God, use an evil nation like the Babylonians to bring about your justice against us? I thought we were your people. At the end of his second prayer, this is where we pick it up back in verse 1. Look what he says. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. You see, Habakkuk has just finished his prayer. He's, he's, He's telling God, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing. And then he tells God, now I'm gonna take my stand on the watchtower and be ready for your reply. You see, Habakkuk is waiting in the city's watchtower for God to respond to his complaint. See, in those times, they would have these these city walls, and watchmen would be posted at various points along the wall to look out for, uh, to keep a close watch on the horizon to make sure if enemies or storms were approaching. They were like the, they were like the, the, uh, the, the alerting system to let people know what was happening. They would keep an attentive ear to hear of anything coming so that they could alert the city to be ready. Now, when you're in the watchtower and it's your shift, you go to the tower and you stand on guard. You go and you wait. You remain silent. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. When it's your job to be at the post, it doesn't matter what you feel about it. It doesn't matter if you're bored. It doesn't matter if you're tired. What's been going on in your life and your present circumstances don't matter. You have a job to do, and the, the, uh, your alertness and your readiness actually impacts everyone else around you. There's something here for us to glean with this. See, Habakkuk has faith to believe that God will answer him, but he's not presumptuous enough to demand a response right away. I mean, he's, he's going to God with some pretty open and honest, raw comments but he doesn't dare presume that God should answer him right away. And he says, hey, I'm happy to take my post and wait for your reply. He knows God will answer, but it may not come immediately. He's prepared to wait for it. And every verb of action in this first verse speaks to his intentionality in the waiting instead of being impulsive. You see, he's proactive, not reactive. We are an impatient, instant 
microwave generation, right? Time is money. We take it as a personal insult anytime we have to wait. But here, Habakkuk prepares himself to wait. He's intentional. As I was seeing him prepare his heart to wait, I thought, man, what a stark contrast to my frantic heart. When I get impatient, I start to tap and fidget. My wife will tell you, she can just tell. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't wear my cards, you know, close to the job. I mean, I wear all my emotions right there. I mean, she can just see, like, hey, you're getting impatient, aren't you? Which only makes me more, what, impatient and frustrated. My body begins to respond to the impatience that's in my heart. That makes sense? What's going on in here manifests itself out here as I kind of start to tap and go, hey, come on, let's go. Here, Habakkuk leans in to the waiting. He's preparing his heart in advance. There's intentionality here. He's not reacting or impulsive. See, we're conditioned in our one-click generation to get what we want right away. God is not like Amazon Prime. God does not owe us a response in two days with a tracking number or your money back. That is not how God operates. See, prayer is not a means to get what we want. Prayer is actually an expression of our relationship to God. And because he's God, he does as he pleases according to his perfect timing. The quality of wholehearted, single-minded perseverance in seeking the Lord is this steady refrain that you see all throughout Scripture. Let me give you just one example. Look at the prophet Isaiah in verse uh, chapter 40. He says this, Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You can find, you can find this phrase, waiting on the Lord, all throughout the scriptures. See, to be a watchman required immense self-discipline and resolve like steel, not to be caught napping, not even to lose concentration. And Habakkuk says, I've come like a watchman. I'm at my post and I'm waiting for you, Lord, until you're ready to speak to me. He's resolved. He's determined. He's proactive. He's intentional, not impulsive. That's patience. It's difficult to watch and wait for the Lord in general and even more when our prayers are coming from broken and baffled hearts that are full of passion. And yet here we see Habakkuk pray with passion, but in the midst of his confusion and pain, he says, I am happy to wait. His intentionality prepares his heart to wait on the Lord. He knows that there's no better place to be, no one better to wait for than the Lord. So instead of reacting in frustration, Instead of reacting in frenzy, he waits in patience. Patience is intentional, not impulsive. But the second thing we're going to find is it's also humble, not proud. Look with me at verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Now, we don't know how long Habakkuk waited for God's response, and I think that's actually intentional. I don't think he gave us the time period so we could go, okay, if I pray, God has got to give me this answer within this time period. In the very next verse, we hear how God responded. Maybe it was days. Maybe it was weeks. 
We just don't know. What's important is this, that God does respond. He responds to him. And this word vision here is used to refer to a prophetic message from God. Now, what's my point? Habakkuk did not get bored or impatient waiting on God and just make up something. Man, man, God, you're kind of wasting my time. I'm just going to write down something. I think it's right. It's kind of in accordance with who you are, and I'll just give it to the people. He doesn't take a shortcut. He waits for the Lord to speak, and now he's going to write it down so it will be preserved for all time. See, this is the message that God wants other people to know. And so he says, make it plain. It should be readable for anyone running by. It's like when you create signs for the road, right? You've got to make sure that the text is big, that it's bold, that it's clear, and it's concise. You don't want to miss it when you're driving by. And God is saying, write this down in such a way I don't want anyone to miss it. Look at verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Do you see what was going on there? After all the waiting, God's response is, keep waiting. Keep waiting? He's already been waiting. But he says, the Lord says, the vision still awaits its appointed time. You see, you have to remember, they had no idea when the Babylonians were coming. They don't know exactly when they're going to arrive on their doorstep. They just know that God has said in multiple places now with multiple prophets that they are coming. There are people filled with all kinds of uncertainty, filled with all kinds of unknowns. But God says, it will come. Each day comes another day closer it hastens to the day, and my word will not lie. You see, God has spoken multiple times that this is going to happen. And when God speaks, his very reputation, his very character, his very nature is on the line. He tells them, if it seems slow, just wait. It will surely come. It will not delay. God repeats himself in this verse just to make sure you didn't miss it. Habakkuk is told, keep on waiting. Now this Hebrew word for waiting can also be translated, be patient. They're kind of one in the same. In order for Habakkuk and for God's people, uh, for that matter, to be patient requires a heavy dose of humility. Look with me at verse four. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by faith. We come to our second point here. He's told, be patient, keep waiting. And then he says, behold, his soul is puffed up. You see, patience is always humble, not proud. Let me unpack this. Why do we hate waiting? What is it about waiting that just aggravates us, that grits against our soul? Why are we so impatient? It's because ultimately our hearts are proud. See, here it's described as our hearts, as our souls being puffed up. It's an overinflated soul. It's the swelling of the ego. And that causes us to be crooked, not upright. See, when that happens, we begin to be twisted. So when God says, wait, be patient, it will come, in that moment, we have a choice to make. 
we can respond in pride and say, hey, God, you're doing it wrong. That's not how it's supposed to be. If I were God, I would do things differently. I know the best way for this to work out. That's one way to respond. Or we can respond with a patient humility that says, God, you are God, and hear me, I am not See, patience, it's not something that you catch like a germ or a virus. It's not something that you can buy or attain. It's something that is wrought in your soul as from one deliberate choice after another. It's forged in the soul in the crucible of life where we're confronted with one situation after another that causes us to make this decision. Am I going to respond to God in humility and patience, or am I going to respond to God in pride and arrogance? Am I going to accept this from a God who is all-knowing and all-good and all-loving? Am I going to have the kind of humility that says, I don't know everything and I can't see everything? And that maybe, just maybe, God has a really good reason why X, Y, or Z is happening. Or do we shake our fist at the sky, get frustrated, and take it out on those around us? You see, every act of impatience is ultimately a statement of our theology. When we grow impatient and frustrated, we're declaring something in that moment about what we're believing in that moment. In that moment, we're saying, I am God, and it should be going my way, and it isn't. And now I have a right to be mad. My wife is serving downstairs this morning, and this is one of those messages I really hope she doesn't podcast. Because I don't want to be held accountable to the things I just said. When I'm mad and frustrated, it's really because in that moment, I believe I am God. And how dare you assault my kingdom? When I get frustrated that situations aren't going my way, that's really what is going on. Things aren't going my way. And when things don't go my way, I'm more concerned about my anger, my discomfort, my feelings, my worry, my fear, my troubles, my, my, my. Do you see the self-centeredness there? The self-elevation, the pride? See, that's the default position of every single human heart. We're hardwired to think, Things should go my way. Now, we don't say that out loud. We don't tweet that. But that's what's going on underneath our heart. God tells Habakkuk, wait, be patient, be humble. God is saying, I am God. You are not. I've got this. I can see things that you cannot see. Right now, Habakkuk, while I'm responding to you, did you know I am holding the entire universe together by the word of my power? I am working things across the political and time spectrum that you could never understand. I'm involved in the tiniest collisions and movement of atoms to the empires of the world, to the stars of the sky. I can see the beginning to the end, all at once. And I'm intimately involved in each passing 
second. You be who I created you to be. Let me be God. He's saying, Habakkuk, I, I gave you a glimpse into the future. You can see that the Babylonians are coming, but the rest is mine to work out. I'm more just and righteous than you know. God's saying, it's not even possible for me not to be perfectly just, perfectly loving. See, family, God isn't just calling Habakkuk to humbly wait. That's a word for us in this room right now. And it's a posture of the heart. We can be intentional and proactive. We can make all kinds of plans. But if our hearts are proud, we will never wait with patient humility. Never. So what can melt a cold heart of pride? Let's look back again at verse 4. And we're going to see an antidote, that the antidote to pride is faith. And that will produce a patience in us that is faithful, not cynical. Let's read again verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. You see, we've already seen in this text how our egos can swell. And now the Lord gives Habakkuk the antidote to his pride. So what can melt the heart of pride? He tells us, it's faith. Now the New Testament writers, if you fast forward a couple thousand years or a few hundred years, they've quote this verse in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, and in the book of Hebrews. So what was veiled is now crystal clear because of Jesus. He is the object of our faith. You see, Jesus is the one who perfectly lived a patient life of intentional, humble faithful waiting. You see, Jesus is presented in the Bible as the word of God become flesh. That's what we're celebrating in this season of Advent, that, God, that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. He came as a baby boy, not only just to identify with us, but to become one of us. And his entire life is marked by patience See, he faced every trial and temptation we have faced, and yet not once, not a single time, did he give in to frustration and frenzy. He was patient with those who misunderstood him. During his trial of temptation, instead of just crushing the serpent right away, he patiently waited and endured with obedience to the Father so that he could achieve for us a righteousness that he would ultimately give us on the cross. And speaking of the cross, while he was there, what did he do? He waited patiently, no matter the pain, no matter the scorn, no matter the humility, he waited. He waited with determined intentionality. He waited with humble submission. He waited with perfect faith until the work was finished, trusting his hands into the, into the hand, trusting his life into the hands of the Father. On the cross, he took our every impatience and the full weight of our pride, and it crushed him. In our prayer of assurance today, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Don't you see that we can wait on God because in Christ, 
He waited for us. And when that sinks down deep into your soul, it melts the heart of pride and gives way to a heart of faith. And that posture of faith leads to a humble patience where we will be intentional and not impulsive. So you can't live a life of intentional, humble, and faithful patience without faith in Jesus Christ. See, impatience in our waiting is like holding God in contempt. See, when we're impatient, we're basically saying, you are disrupting the courtroom of our life, and I hold you in contempt. When we do that, instead of trusting in God, we're ultimately trusting in ourselves. And what happens is our souls get inflated, and like a balloon, we lack all substance and stability. And all it takes is a tiny pinprick, and we get deflated. Or worse, we explode. The prideful, self-sufficient person has to constantly pretend and put on an act because ultimately and fundamentally, we are living a lie. We work hard to keep up the act so that ourselves and others can think that we have it all together. And we can't afford to fail because that might actually mean we have to face the truth. And so the alternative to that charade of, of the overinflated self is to live a life of humble patience and trust in the Lord. The last line in our text says that the righteous shall live by faith. It's the kind of faith that clings to God's promises and trusts him even in the darkest of our days. And that gives us a hope that even in the midst of a hard word from God, that judgment is coming, that we know that there is a pathway for the righteous. See, in this message of judgment, there is a pathway of hope. The Lord says, if you want to live, take the path of faith. See, the path of pride is going your own way, impatience, rejecting God, doing it your own way. That will end in judgment and death. Or you can take the path of righteousness and it will lead to life. Here we have a promise of grace in the midst of judgment and it's for those who will trust in the Lord, who will put their faith in him so that they can live. And waiting, this, this, this posture and this, this, um, this season of waiting is a picture of perfect faith. Here's what I mean by that. It means any time we're forced to wait, I have to acknowledge that he is God and I'm not. When I'm in a place where it's not going the way that I would want, I'm forced with that deliberate choice to go, will I trust that God is good, that he has my best interest in mind, that he is working out things according to his perfect will, to his perfect plan, and I can submit to that. I can rest in that. I can trust in that. Or do I grow frustrated and frenzied going, I'm not in control anymore. Now I have to do everything I can to get things back in my control. And I can wait on him because I'm reminded that on the cross, he waited for me. I can follow his word. I can trust in his plan, not my own. And every time and season of waiting becomes this opportunity to take another deliberate step of faith on that path of righteousness. And I grow in humility. I grow in my intentionality. I grow in my faithful patience. When that happens, we grow less cynical. 
We start to see things as God sees things. We become less self-centered and more trusting in God. And we start to see that that heart of stone, that heart of pride begins to melt. And as it is melting away, we get rid of the arrogance, we get rid of the self-sufficiency, and we get rid of the cynicism. As we wrap up and respond to God, I want to ask, did you notice that Habakkuk was brutally honest with God? Did you know, you can go back and read chapter one, you will see him making some pretty bold declarations to the Lord. He didn't mask his emotions. He didn't give these pietistic, cleverly worded prayers to the Lord that make him sound holy and self-righteous. He was raw and open. He was honest with God with his feelings and his fears. And did you notice that God didn't turn him away? He didn't say, get out of my presence with your complaints. How dare you come into my throne room talking like that? He doesn't turn him away. See, God wants that kind of relationship with you as well. As we respond to him in singing and in prayer in the next few minutes that we have together, I want to encourage you to be real and open and honest with God. Because the reality is he already knows your heart. You can't hide your heart from the God who sees all. So tell him where you're hurting. Tell him where you're confused. Tell him where you're proud. He will meet you there. And friends, that is a step of faith. That's putting you on that path of righteousness, rejecting the pride of doing things our own way. That's intentionality. That's humility. That's faithful patience. And the Bible says, walking like that leads to life. Let me pray.